aka Freedom Fighters of the World. I'm pretty sure that might be a mafia, so we need to kind of keep that on the DL. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> we should totally be them if there's not already one. I'm running for president. No, God! No, God, please, no! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of The Liberty Boys, a.k.a. Lib Chat. Lib Chat. And uh, I'm here, as always, with the Dylan Allman, and I am at Max Eckert. And, without the uh, V. Without the V. Of course. Because, you know, I'm, I'm the real OG on Twitter. And today, we have a couple things we wanted to talk about. I think Dylan has, uh, has quite the, the handle on today's episode. Uh, he has a lot of information and research that he's been doing on was relating to the war on drugs. Am I right? Part of it. Part of it, part of it. Part and of it. Um, we, we have some additional things we'll be throwing into this episode as well. Uh, we actually are going to be doing an interview with one of our viewers who responded to our last podcast. And we're going to be trying to do this about once a week, kind of have someone join the show and do some more uh, work with you guys and work as a community. It's and, called uh, the uh, Liberty Minute. It'll the be Liberty towards Minute. the end of the show. I'm sure you guys will like it. Today's show is going to be... It's a big one. It's a big one, guys. Folks, it's a big one. Guys and folks and ladies, too? All of them. All of the people. Today, uh, I kind of wanted to mention a couple of things before we got into this uh, this big discussion. Um, just wanted to point out, I've been watching this uh, Sons of Liberty show. Yeah, you know? yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Is it good? It's really good. It was, it, It's like a, um, what's it called? A, a small series on the History Channel. It came out last year. It's like three episodes, but they're like 80 minutes long each, so it's like three separate movies. Basically, it's about the rise of the Continental Army and the Re- Revolutionary War, and, and it goes. it's really like dramatized and stuff, like an actual movie. It's not like normal History Channel stuff. So it's really interesting, and I, and I urge a lot of you to kind of talk about it or watch it and also that, talk about it, whatever yeah. you want to do. I've heard, I've heard pretty good things about it, and you know, I, th- I think it's good that the History Channel's actually doing historical shows and not a, uh, I almost said a wife swap, they're not doing wife swap, <laughs> they're doing like American pickers and stuff, which has nothing to do with history in my opinion. It's just... A- ancient aliens? Ancient aliens. Yeah, did you know that there was a bunch of Martians that came down and left bi- biblical passages inside these caves for us to discover? Yes, I did, because I watched Ancient Aliens. And at the end of the episode, they're like, uh, well, uh, the Romans could have done this, but, um... This is not a promotional video, I I promise. Um, I I also wanted to bring up uh, Rand Paul was in the news. Hey, my boy. My the the boy, Rand. The boy, the boy Rand. You know, he's like (laughs) one of those like neighborhood kids. Like, hey, hey, there's the boy Rand. He's like, hey, I'm doing more stuff in Congress right now. He was in the news the other day because he pretty much just called out Hillary Clinton. And uh, it was amazing because I am not fond of Hillary Clinton, and I like it when anyone brings out facts and kind of talks bad about her. It makes me very tingly inside. It makes me very happy. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna play a little clip of that. In the personal story segment tonight, holding Hillary Clinton to account, Senator Rand Paul has been aggressively pursuing that. Recently, you launched a campaign to hold Hillary Clinton accountable for her crimes. How are you gonna accomplish that? We're all for it. Uh, I think an indictment would be a good idea, followed by a prison sentence. 
Joining us now from Bowling Green, Kentucky, to elaborate, Senator Rand Paul. Okay, Senator, you're, you're maybe the first, maybe the only U.S. Senator who said that she should um, be locked up. Why do you say that? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in equal protection under the law. You know, whether you're rich or poor, white or black, everybody should be treated the same under the law. A lot of soldiers in Kentucky, Fort Campbell and Fort Knox, every one of those soldiers knows they can't take classified information and have it on their personal computer, and they know there won't be any exceptions, that they will be prosecuted, they'll be put in the brig, they'll be stripped of their rank, and they'll be booted out of the military. And so I don't think it's fair to hold our soldiers, many of them enlisted men and women, to one standard and then say to Hillary Clinton, oh, well, she can do whatever she wanted. Man, he really he really hits that one hard, doesn't he? He does. He does. I, I love how he brings up um, she should have a prison sentence because I completely agree. If you can, like, I know that'll never happen because, like, politicians or whatever, they don't get in trouble. But at least, like, clearly she can't handle classified material. And if and you can't do that, you can't be the freaking president of the United States. It's insane. And I think both both Ron Paul and Rand Paul have done a fantastic job of really standing for what libertarians do stand for, regardless of their most recent uh, turn to uh, run in the Republican uh, convention. But uh, that both of them obviously hold uh, libertarian values, and. The part that I like that they're actually pushing that Rand is doing right here is he actually taking that extra step. I mean, you have tons of Republicans, all these neocons, you have Donald Trump, and you have all of them saying, oh, Hillary needs to be in prison. Well, that's fantastic, but if we're not actually pushing and taking action to get this done, which Rand is obviously the only one doing, clearly, then what what are you doing? You're just as good as a bumper sticker at that point. I mean, oh, yeah, we, we all know this. Do but something about it. Do take take the step, provide the facts, and take action. I think Rand has taken each one of those steps. He's providing the facts here. This is what's going on. We have the president for it. We have people that this has already happened to people b before Hillary who have done less than what she's done on a much smaller scale who have received punishment for it, and we're just going to let this one slide. And you have all the Republicans not like they're they're the ones shouting out that she needs to be going to prison and be doing all this stuff, but no one's taking action against it. And the polls have been consistent about um, following through with what they're uh, condemning and what they're praising as well. That's why I love him. That's why I love my boy Rand. My he, boy Rand. He does what's right, and I like that. I like that a lot. He's like the kid on the street corner with uh, with like playing with his yo-yo. Like, oh yeah, just, you know. <laughs> it's my boy you know, Rand with his yo-yo. <laughs> uh, last little thing I wanted to talk about before we get into this is um, uh, everyone knows who uh, Penn Gillette is, the magician. He also is a, a very active libertarian. And I was watching an interview with him, and he was talking about a discussion that we he was having with Pierce Morgan, and uh, pretty much. What he said is he was talking with Pierce, and Pierce mentioned to him, he said, one out of seven people are on food stamps. What does that mean to you? And Ped responded back with, well, that means six out of seven people can help them. And Pierce said, well, well, the government should help them. And he was like, no. And then Pierce was like, well, then what do you think should happen? He was like, why don't you help them? And he's like, what? He's like, why don't you help him? You have a good amount of money. Why, why don't those six out of seven people go and help them instead of relying on the government to do all of their work? And I thought that that was a really great point. And that's, a like, scary, that's honestly a scary view of his, too. If he's not imagining himself and people as encompassing a government, he's thinking it's a separate entity that's supposed to take care of people. That's so scary. 
Yeah. That, that gives the government so much power. Because at that point, I see so many people where they'll like be in protests and they're like, why aren't we giving to the poor? Why, why, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why are you pushing the government to do this? You have money. You have things. Why don't you actively help those people instead of getting other people to help them? Yeah, You're not and, uh, doing anything. This touches exactly on what Rand was doing. I mean, like, what are you doing? Rand is taking action. What are we all doing here just complaining about the problem? Let's go towards the solution. The, you know, the problem with uh, that pendulette was, uh, was, was addressing is the, the, the poor is here. Why aren't we taking care of them? Why are we looking for a government to take care of them? Exactly. And why, why aren't we as people taking action? Hey, we the people. There you go. Why aren't we doing something? Exactly. And I thought that was a really great point. But for some reason, people just don't understand. They'll just blow it off and be like, nope, government. I think that there's plenty of private organizations and things people can do within the community without the help of the federal government. I really absolutely, do. Absolutely, absolutely. And that kind of leads on to another topic I know you wanted to touch on. Um, yeah, the issue, so... The, the issue with the war on drugs. I mean, is this going to be something that we're going to handle as a as a government issue or as an individual responsibility or as a, as the community coming together to collectively figure out rehab, rehabilitation um, options? Are we, are we, are we going to continue throwing people in government uh, jail? Are we going to keep throwing them in organized um, confinement? So here's the thing. So the war on drugs is kind of just part of it. I mean, it's a big part of it. Um, but just vice in general, like bad things that people don't like, including like drugs, alcohol, prostitution, gambling, guns, tobacco, and even like bad diets people have. Most societies like the U.S. have policies that reduce those types of vices. And so whether it's like bans, prohibitions, regulation, minimum ages, or even like a really big syntax on those vices and most libertarians, um, whether they're like even moderate or radical libertarians, they they um, mostly oppose these types of things, um, like prohibitions, regulation, and stuff like that, on different degrees of level. They believe people should be able to consume what they want, and the government should not be involved in what people do in their personal lives, because things like the drug prohibition, for example, that does loads of harm. And the argument for prohibition is pretty much drugs are bad. They're bad for society. Drugs can harm, like, productivity, you know, change social norms. Pretty much the whole argument for that is drugs are bad, so let's get rid of them. But people aren't looking into the negatives that prohibition has. And I think that the negatives that prohibition has very much outweigh the negatives that keeping them legal would have. Yeah, and I, and I would agree. Prohibition is an, ob an obvious no-go to follow through with. I mean, we saw that with alcohol in the, in the 19th century, or 20th century, rather. Um, it, it, it's, it's not going to work if we're going to continue punishing nonviolent criminals for it. I mean, the misrepresentation that libertarians get is that they're completely pro-drug and everyone's going to be shooting up heroin in the streets. No, we don't condone that at all. Exactly. It's um, We're just dr looking drugs at... Drugs are, are bad. They are awful for society, but trying to uh, construct that and turn that into a criminal offense rather than a rehabilitation is, is the issue here. 
Um, there's there's no denying that shooting up heroin on the side of the street is probably not a good idea for that person or for the people around them. But are we going to, going to throw that person in jail and um, incorporate them in a whole new violent society that jail and prison uh, brings up brings upon people? Or are we going to try to re- rehabilitate this nonviolent criminal into kind of getting right onto the back tr- onto the right track rather of um, being incorporated and assimilated into, into society again? Exactly. Or are we going to? Are we going to? We need to quit punishing people and start healing them. Is is the thing, in my opinion. Exactly. Prohibition. There's evidence of it not working. There's. I, I'm sure drugs being prohibited has an effect on people not using them. I'm sure it has. It. Ten percent of people no longer drink alcohol. It, there's not a dramatic effect when drug prohibition is put in place of a huge drop in people taking drugs. It's not a big one. So I think that the neg- the negatives that come out of it being prohibitive, totally is way bigger than the negatives of an irrational person going out and hurting someone because they made a bad decision with drugs. There's th- there's a couple of things to look out here. There are There's people that are rational and they know what they're doing. Um, they know the risk that they're taking and they want to take these drugs. So if we're limiting these people, we're pretty much telling them what you can and cannot do with your body. People are taking their own risks like bungee jumping skydiving or even like drinking alcohol how is that really much different than someone taking drugs well if the drugs are illegal the difference is that those drugs are illegal and these things are you know regulated and have different safe things that that are incorporated in them and the only thing that drug prohibition may be a little bit justified with are people who do not make ration rational decisions when taking these types of drugs like they go out and they drive or they are like operating big machinery in the workplace and they hurt someone taking these drugs that can kind of justify the prohibition but i think that the negativities that prohibition gives way outweighs those people that aren't making rational decisions so the thing is is that the government starts telling people what they can and cannot do when it comes to drugs, alcohol, anything that people are doing with their bodies, it, it basically makes it limitless to what the government can do. So the government gets more into your life. They start telling you what to eat, what you can listen to, what you can read, what education you can get. And then it just skyrockets from there if you start giving them little more power over and over. So I think that the irrational view that there's going to be irrational people, I don't think that that's very persuasive to me at all because I think it's going to just be way worse. Exactly. It's going to be a very slippery slope, and I'm wondering where this ride's going to end. You know, we have the where they're wanting to regulate um, the school lunches that we're providing in school, which has lowered in uh, in quality over, over the years. Right. I think uh, there was a recent statistic I was looking at is the grade of meat that we're giving our public school children is actually a grade lower than what we're supplying in our prisons. And, you know, when are we going to start deciding, okay, this this isn't right? Or uh, I think we're, we're taking the step in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think I think as an American society, we're able to see what, what problems there are. And I do, I do feel that drugs are an issue that we are faced with. But I think we're taking the wrong step towards it. Um, I think this, this is very similar to with, with our school lunches. I mean, the school lunches were not of great quality and they were not good for our children. 
but are we going to take the step towards the government solving that issue for the, for for us or are we going to go towards solving this issue ourselves and providing lunch for our children in schools and making sure that 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 right stuff is being is being done this does, does not have to be done on the federal level we don't need uh, nasty mashed frozen peas being delivered from the central <laughs> pea organization of the United States to every single school on like a mass scale. I think we need to come together as communities and make sure these issues are, issues are being handled. And we don't need the big government telling us how to do this. We know how to do this. We know what's good for our bodies. At least I'd like to think that we do. And, you know, maybe we need more more education on that part. Because actually going back on that, I, I don't think we know what's what's with our bodies it's very clear with our obes- obesity issue that we don't mm-hmm. but um i think whether it be education or food or however we're handling this i think that it's going to come with more knowledge of how to handle the subject so we can take the step in the right direction i i completely agree one other thing i wanted to mention is that people don't don't really they don't look too much into the effects that prohibition could have. So people would be like, oh, drugs are bad. You can't take them. And pretty much wanting to dictate other people's lives. But in reality, prohibition is really costly. It, it has a lot of violence involved because it takes the market underground. So when people are trying to resolve disputes underground, they don't have police to be in there to regulate those things. So it can get really, really violent. And mentioning police, police are also going to be focused on drug crimes. Because since all these drugs are going to be illegal, the police are going to have to focus on all of these different crimes of people just having drugs in their personal house, not hurting anyone else. And they're going to focus on those people instead of other crimes like murder, rape, you know, all the big ones. And I, I believe it was the Reagan administration that did the Anti-Drug Act in 1986, I think. And that was, and that made more nonviolent uh, offenders go to prison than ever before. So we have, we essentially have prisons and jails full of nonviolent drug users and drug dealers. And it's a problem, and that's expensive. It, 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 and and it really is. I mean, if you look at some of these statistics for this, I mean, we've gone up like five hundred thousand um, incarcerated individuals every year just due to these offenses that wouldn't necessarily be in there for nonviolent issues mm-hmm. and the thing is is if you take down the drug dealer, dealer down the street that's not going to stop the people who are doing drugs they're just going to go to the next guy it's like a hydra you cut one head off the next guy's going to come up exactly and another thing is that prohibition can harm the health health of the people who use it illegally because they don't know what they're getting they're going to some random guy in the street who is making these drugs they don't know what's laced in it they don't they essentially they don't know what they're getting so it could be poisonous just like when alcohol was prohibited people were getting this alcohol from underground markets and they were getting poisoned by it and getting hurt because they were going to get alcohol no matter what and they were getting this alcohol that was really bad so that's another thing so a lot of people have been getting like hiv and stuff from prohibition on like heroin because people yeah and because people will start sharing needles and everything because and that's the solution expensive. to that that I've seen in some cities I know there's a couple in New York and a, quite a few in California that instead of going after this it, I don't know if, if you've looked into this but there's actually a huge heroin epidemic going down in North America right now and it's really starting to hit the United, the United States pretty heavily mm-hmm. instead of cr- turning this into a criminal issue and throwing all these addicts into, into jail there's been certain communities in uh, New York and uh, California and maybe a few other places that have started uh, giving you safe spaces to shoot up and do this and give you uh, clean needles. 
to uh, continue doing whatever drug you're doing. But instead of uh, making this a criminal offense by just throwing you in jail and making you suffer in there from withdrawal or whatever have you, um, they're giving them appropriate measures to make sure that the negative side of this drug abuse isn't being uh, impactful. Exactly. People on the outside, uh, very conservative people might look at that and be like, oh my gosh, they're giving them needles? That's terrible. They're just promoting it. You know, they love drugs. And it's like, no, when you look at the the benefits of either side and, and what's going to be bad if they don't, I think helping people get over their addiction by supplying them with healthy things, working with them, that really, really helps when you look at the bad things that come out of not doing that. Absolutely. And I think that's across the board, honestly. And I'm, um, I don't want to say I'm surprised that our uh, two front-running candidates, both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, have a very similar stance on drugs, I think, in general, despite what they're saying. And I, we actually had, uh, had a viewer on our show earlier. His name was Kyle, and he joined us and was talking a little bit, uh, comparing a little bit of what Bernie Sanders brought to the table whenever he was uh, running as a candidate for the Democratic Party. And uh, he had a very similar stance on drugs that I think Gary had um, as far as the legalization and uh, kind, of, kind of tackling that as a social issue. It also prevents advances on research on marijuana because a lot of people really think that it has a lot of very medical benefits, but that really restricts the amount of research that we can do on marijuana because it's so illegal. Another thing, you can only catch drug crime. You can only see it, find it in the act. Well, police officers can only find the drug crime in the act because no one's going to come up and say, hey, this guy sold me drugs because he's going to get in trouble too. It's not like if someone got robbed and they can go report it to the police. The police have to go out of their way to find these type of things. So that also... If you look into it even deeper, it might even inflame racial tension because cops have to be much more aggressive and start stereotyping people. Not saying that they should, but that could possibly happen because they have to, they have to be really aggressive when it comes to some types of drug crimes because they really have to look into it to find it, which it takes it back to the point that they're wasting all their time on these nonviolent drug crimes when there's actual people out there murdering and raping people. Absolutely. People might be making mistakes by taking drugs. Like, that sucks, and that's terrible. But that doesn't mean that a private party can't help them. Like, their family, or the people around them, the coaches, teachers. Why can't they step in? And Community and personal of- involvement instead of the government. of people you have no idea trying to uh, organize your life for you. Exactly. You'll see a lot of, like, the show Intervention. That's great. A lot of people stop taking drugs and stuff doing that. We don't need the government to step in and say, we're going to stop people from taking drugs by saying it's illegal. That doesn't help. (laughs) Exactly. You have to get to the the people's core and and figure out why they're doing it, help them. I mean, I don't know what rehab places do, but they work. So why don't we invest in that instead of freaking stupid prohibition or invest more materials for our uh, rehabilitation centers i unfortunately i think the turnout rate for those are somewhat low Mm -hmm. i want to say around 15 percent. they're not great but if we start contributing more resources to that as opposed to throwing people in prison and leaving them there for the rest of their lives i think we could really make a huge difference as a society to the the addict and to all aspects of drug use and drug trade and the drug war. 
I completely agree. And, and this is the same way with, with all different types of vices. So not only just like drugs, but even if you look into have this type of mentality with like prostitution um, in the places that it's illegal, which is most places in the United States, it's very violent and they have to be underground and it's really dirty and people get all these diseases. People are going to do prostitution no matter what anyways. So if it was if it was legal if you take a step back and look and see if prostitution was legal in the places that it is legal it's it's much cleaner there's less violence and there's less crime because the police aren't getting involved in these people's lives maybe they want to pay to have sex so what but it, but it's much it's easier to, to just sweep under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist i mean exactly. it, i think if we bring some of these issues to surface level we can start addressing them as opposed to ignoring them yeah, and so I mean, this these this type of mentality can also can also apply to to guns. So I mean, not saying that we should just let anyone do anything. I mean, milder policies can can be looked at, and you have to give each type of vice and its mild policy that people want to apply to it. You have to look at it, and you have to see the the harms. If it outweighs different things, you, you have to give each one personal attention. People just need to, to look into it more and figure out prohibiting things outright is just not going to work. And even if you were to legalize heroin, but you made the taxes on it so high, why would people want to buy a super taxed thing of heroin when they could just get it from the black market? At the same time, you have to look at, at what policies are going to work and, and what's not going to work and what harms are going to outweigh the pros. And there there like is that. actually an individual, um, one of the chairmen of the drug, I think it was the Drug Prevention Council or something, something like that, um, James Wilson. You can actually, actually look at him. He had a very similar idea to what you had. It was if, if we could raise the price of heroin to a certain point, people won't um, be able to afford to even do it anymore. They won't be able to buy the the regulated heroin, the healthy not the healthy stuff, but the stuff that isn't right, laced right, with stuff. Exactly. Like that. They won't be able to buy that, so they're going to go buy it from the black market. They're going to still be getting AIDS and dying and and doing all this stuff and getting arrested because it's the the, the price is so high. So that's what I'm saying. You have to look at each individual situation and do the research on it to figure out which mild policies you want to put on them, if any policies at all. The main point that I kind of want to to get out of this is the evil of prohibition is not the substance it's prohibiting but it's the incentives created by the policy that does most of the harm absolutely you have so many so much money coming from corporations funding politicians as well to to sway to sway them you have the dea being swayed they decided not to reschedule their classification of marijuana and within mm -hmm. this past week and um i think we've that the corporations, the money are, are the real issue here. I think we all are on a similar understanding, kind of like what you had previously mentioned. Ugh. Gross. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> I tried to burp, but then like some stuff came out and it was really gross. Okay. So <laughs> I just, got... <laughs> I'm so disgusted by the drug, the, by the war on drugs. I'm just going to throw up. This, this is a good transition into um, the new segment that we're starting. Uh, it's called the Liberty Minute. Uh, don't be fooled by the minute. It it can be a little bit longer. We tried to uh, um, make it below. Hey, we have room for compromise. To, That's what we'll call it. Exactly. <laughs> e e 
We, we try to get it under two minutes so it can still technically be the minute, but it's probably just going to go over anyways. Today, we had we have this guy on. His name is Kyle, and he's uh, one of our viewers, and uh, we're going to have him on and uh, talk real quick. All right, everybody, I have uh, Kyle here. Um, he's going to talk for a minute, and um, so go right ahead. Uh, say hi, Kyle. Hello. Yeah, so um, Kyle's just going to talk for a minute about uh, something that uh, he wanted to talk about, so you can uh, go right ahead. Thanks. Uh, so I just wanted to talk about how even though you know I voted for Gary in 2012, I'm excited to do it again this time around, uh, there was one thing that I liked about Bernie Sanders, and I don't think he enough, gets enough credit for it. So uh, first, I just wanted to say that I think probably the biggest problem that we have with politics and why everyone is so divided is because of the lack of nuance. Like people don't read full stories anymore and don't actually think about what could possibly uh, change their mind about any one given story. They just read the headline and react to it immediately. And this is seems new because it's been amplified by social media and stuff. But there's actually a trick that politicians have been using in political ads and in debates for you know, for almost ever. And it's something that uh, Bernie, rather, uh, pointed out when they were in Michigan against Hillary Clinton. She was accusing him of uh, not voting, of voting against bailing out the, the auto manufacturers. And he had to point out that, no, it wasn't that I was voting against that. I was voting for all this other stuff in the bill. And that's something that so few people really understand and how that works is that these, you know, bills have deceptive names and all the time you see political ads like he voted against this, but really the bill could have had a million different other things that are right. that they're actually voting against. So I, I wish that people would understand that more. And that's one thing I re do really like about Gary when he talks about some of the stuff he vetoed in New Mexico is that he's skeptical. He calls himself a skeptic when it comes to these bills and thinks critically and looks beyond just the baseline of them. So I think people could stand to use more nuance, some more critical thinking and some more skepticism. And uh, I think that's what we're lacking. And, and, and honesty as well. Uh, it, yeah. Bernie Sanders, even though I disagreed with most of his policies, he he was honest and, and that was good. He, he really fought for what he believed in. And, and I mean, a lot of that kind of went away when he endorsed Hillary Clinton. But even during the primaries and stuff, I thought it was really good. He was really honest. And that's a good thing I like about uh, Gary Johnson as well, because he'll come out and say, like, he'll be really honest about the things he stands for. He'll be really honest about what he's voted for and done in the past. And he'll even encourage people to go Google him, and uh, which a lot of politicians don't do because people might find dirt and stuff. But he wants people to get a full exposure to him and and have them develop their own opinion of whether they want to support him or not. So I, I really liked what you were talking about. Yeah, I, I just I just wish there's so much division and, I, you know, Gary's obviously the middle ground because he incorporates both sides. But it's just I think he's right when he says that the point of the two parties are just to battle each other and vilify the other ones. And so people fall for it. Thank, thanks a lot for being on the show, Kyle. Um, hopefully we'll yeah, be thanks. able to talk in the future. And um, you made up some good points and we're really glad to have you. All right, thanks a lot. And yeah, I think it was good that Kyle was able to hit on a, a couple big points there. He was uh, coming from a, from a point um, talking about Bernie Sanders and kind of how he was very focused on policy, even though he his views were very different than what ours are as, as libertarians. But we did have many 
agreements on social matters. And he was talking that, you know, we're really starting to treat this election like a, like a headline. You know, we're really just going towards the headlines and the big jump articles and uh, clickbait and stuff like that. And instead of really focusing on policy and voting records of the people who are currently in line to lead our nation, um, you have Donald Trump, who has really no background in politics, who has flip-flopped on quite a few things. And you have Hillary, who's all over the place. She has a record of voting for a bunch of different things that aren't even democrat in some ways and then she has strange views on other things that she's changed about 20 times over the past she just wants money. 30 years she just exactly. wants money and power <laughs> and so what kyle had mentioned is that he, he felt that bernie did a good job of kind of staying away from the memes and he did have some dank memes i'll, I'll give him that but, <laughs> yeah. but but um it, it's that we really need to focus on the policy instead of what the headlines are showing us and i think he did a good job of wrapping that up for us he did. That was great. And uh, if any of the uh, viewers listening now want to be involved in the show and want to be on the next segment of the Liberty Minute, how do they do that, Max? Oh, man. I have to pick a keyword now. Let's make the keyword. <laughs> you make it this week. I had to make it the past two weeks. You just don't want to. Who was the first American killed in the political strife that later became the American Revolution? Tweet us that. Tweet us the answer, the name of the person that was killed. Uh, you can Man, that tweet. was a lot more difficult than mine was. Mine yeah. just, you just say gumbo to me, and I get all excited. <laughs> but no, you have to actually go to go to like homework for Dylan. You can tweet me, either either me or Max, the answer to that question, and you will the first person to do so will be included on the next segment of the Liberty Minute. Whenever and we decide to do that. And the next two people who answer it will also be given shout-outs. We've been pretty consistent in doing that as well. But we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we give you shout-outs if you're able to answer that. Even though you're not the first one, we do have consolation prizes. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up today's show of the Liberty Boys podcast. I'm very AKA proud. AKA LibChat. AKA, AKA the Liberty Minute. Also AKA known as. Kyle joined us. Okay, so... Um, that's going to wrap it up. I'm very proud of the uh, direction that this show is going. We're getting kind of a, a larger audience, and, and um, we're really enjoying it. So if you also enjoyed it and you like where we're going, please feel free to um, like the podcast and subscribe or follow. That would be totally great. And comment or comment and or tweet us any suggestions or comments you had on the show, and uh, we will see you next time we love you very much and so does harambe <laughs> <laughs> jesus dude <laughs> dancing in the mirror chilling in cedar rapids